Gotham City, like any other large metropolis, abounds in girls of all shapes and sizes. Debutantes, nurses, stenographers, and librarians. Gotham City Library, Miss Gordon speaking. Lopez hair removal, this is Jose. Holy transformation. One minute, plain Barbara Gordon, librarian and Commissioner Gordon's daughter. And the next minute, something new has been added. Batgirl, modeled after her idol, Batman. Holy apparition! No, Boy Wonder, I'm Batgirl. You are no longer alone, Cape Crusader. It took me three years to track down the Jade Gato, and three more to figure out how to steal it. Funny, it only took me ten minutes to figure out how to snatch it back. No matter how you do it, crime doesn't pay girls. I'm your host, Stella, and this is Batgirl to Oracle, the Barbara Gordon Podcast, episode 57 for March MMXIII. Episode 57 is brought to you by this public service announcement. Look, the storm knocked down that big wire. Hey, let's jump our bikes over it. Now, we better move it off the road. No, you better leave that power line right where it is. There's enough electricity there to fry an elephant. We didn't think it was dangerous. You'd have found out too late. Remember, never play around electrical wires or you could be playing with fire. Now we know. And knowing is half the battle. G.I. Joe! Beckroll to Oracle is also brought to you by MileHighComics.com, your new and collectible comic book store. Mile High Comics has an inventory of over 5 million comics from the gold, silver, bronze, and modern age, and over 100,000 trade paperbacks. If you're not into the vintage stock, Mile High Comics also has a subscription service called the New Issue Comics Express, offering a discounted price for comics ready to hit the shelves. Examples of the prices you may encounter are Maze Background number 20 and Birds of Prey number 20, both for $2.69. So if you're looking for vintage back issues or a great modern subscription service, be sure to check out milehighcomics.com. Well, I actually do have a couple bits or pieces, I guess, of news. And I have been asked by several people, where in the world is Carmen Sandiego? No, where in the world is 
Kimberly Rockmore, and I, I think that she would be very flattered to know that her absence has not gone unnoticed. But she's just been taking some time off. Uh, school has been pretty grueling as of late, and she, well, she's just sort of getting through, and, and then at the end of spring, she'll be looking for a job. So she, I, I've just given her that time to uh, just devote herself to her schoolwork and, and getting set. And to be honest, there hasn't really been too much news. I think that there's certainly more news to as of late, it seems, uh, there's been a lot going on in the Bat universe here. First up, a friend of mine, uh, someone that you may remember from the Batgirl Roundtable, Ed, he went to Megacon and a DC panel, and uh, some things that he he reported from Gail Simone is that Batgirl number 19 is going to be the payoff issue for everything that's been going on. The ventriloquist will be in issues 20 and 21, and he has an all-new backstory and powers. Gotham's going to be undergoing some sort of fundamental change by the end of this year, and in the new 52, Babs has never been Oracle, but this is something that she may one day become. Uh, so that is very interesting. I did ask to report whether or not she was excited about what was going on, because of course, as Donovan noted uh just in those panels she just never really seemed oh at san diego it just never really seemed like she was excited about what she was doing and he said that for the most part she was so that could be great i think the next thing nick spencer recently reported that even though uh, his supergirl pre-new 52 super supergirl series ended originally what he was going to do was sort of uh tie this into a potential pilot, a backdoor pilot, uh, where there'd be a Supergirl, Steph Brown Batgirl, and perhaps a Damien Little Young Justice kind of series. And unfortunately, that didn't happen. You can definitely see the interview, the whole interview with Nick Spencer on Newsarama.com. But uh, that's sort of sad. I started reading the end of that Supergirl run because I, I really liked when they crossed over with Batgirl, and I thought I would get into Supergirl that way and I enjoyed what he was doing and it was just sad that you know the new 52 sort of kicked it out of the way but how awesome would that have been and not if it was like a Young Justice series because I don't think it necessarily would have had to have been that but just a cartoon series with Steph Brown Supergirl and then you know this little brother that's quirky and doesn't really know what life is like as being a regular boy as a as another member of the team but unfortunately we will never see that uh and unfortunately even more you know damien has been killed off hopefully you guys know that and this isn't a spoiler for you but let me just say that i am pretty disheartened by this and um i know if you can remember way back when uh when he first appeared and i said i just dislike him terribly and i wish he would go away but i really started to fall in love with him uh, with the character especially with the batman and robin the peter tomasi run that started in new 52 and just that entire experience along with things going on in Batman Inc. Uh, really just, oh, well, it broke my heart when he finally left. And speaking of Robins, I do really encourage you to go over to the Batman Universe and check out a Robins special that Donovan came up with uh, where we really go through the history of all of the Robins. 
and then there's a panel of sorts and we discuss them and why we think they deserve the Robin title and what we liked about them, what we didn't like about them and then at the very end we rated them and I think you'll be surprised with some things that people say and not surprised but I definitely encourage you to do that because I think if you're not well versed in the Robin verse of you know the Batman universe I think that this would really be a great jumping on point for you and learning more. My final bit of news is actually, I suppose, the most important, and it's that uh, Batgirl to Oracle is going to be changing its feed. So normally, you know, you can go on Batgirl to Oracle.net slash podcast dash feed, uh, but I'm actually going to be changing over, and the Batman Universe is going to be hosting that feed now, and my site will remain up for uh, a few weeks, perhaps into mid-April, um, or I guess through April, but then it's going to be taken down. And let me talk to you about this decision here. It, it was a really uh, tough decision to make, of course, because you know I started off as a blog spot, and I really created that website from the bottom up. And then, of course, Dustin uh, helped me out and, and gave me my own .net and .com and I was able to do with that as as I wanted. So the issue is, number one, I just keep getting attacked by malware for whatever reason, and it's really disheartening just because you wish the world was a better place, that you could have a website and you wouldn't be attacked by malware. But for whatever reason, it's just being opened up. You know, I'm following all the rules with what I'm doing and and with images and things like that. But but you know, it just keeps happening, which is really frustrating. Number two, I don't have as much time as I would like to update my website with news. And to be honest, I don't know how many people go on to look for news as it at as Backroll to Oracle being you know the first news site that you really check. I'm I'm sure it's not. So the idea was you know to really put me more on the Batman Universe page but still being Batgirl to Oracle still being separate from the Batman Universe but now you know I can have more time to write more legitimate articles for the Batman Universe and of course then you can check there for all of your news bits and everything so again you know it was a hard decision but it's still going to be the same Batgirl to Oracle uh, I'm still in league with the Batman Universe but I will continue to put my foot down that uh, Batman Universe does not own me, uh, and Dustin agrees with this, but I, I do, you know, I'm very thankful and appreciative for everything that he has done for me. I certainly would never say that I'd get this far on my own without him. But that uh, feed, the new feed is thebatmanuniverse.net slash category slash podcast slash BTO slash feed and then slash. That's where you're going to go. That's the new feed. And the old feed is going to stay up for a little while, like I said, through April or so. But then, and it will update with a couple new episodes, most likely this episode and the next episode, but then it will really change over, and it'll go, all the new episodes will go to that feed, so be sure that you're on that new feed. As for iTunes, iTunes has sort of changed some of the things that it's doing with podcasts, so I think definitely check... Um, after, like I said, maybe the next two episodes, check to see if you're getting the next or the latest episode, and you may have to resubscribe. But for as long as my site is up, I will leave this URL for the new feed up and, and give you directions on what you can do. I definitely want this changeover to be as easy and pain-free as possible. I definitely don't want to lose anyone over this, uh, and I do apologize for the inconvenience, but uh, I, I 
hope you are with me with the move. This is my second move. It's kind of weird being a podcast and moving two times. Uh, But here I am. Hopefully, you know, I'm here to stay. Yes. So thank you for continuing to listen. And hopefully it will not be too terrible for you to move over there. Okay, that's it for news. I also have a couple fan mail. I know there, it's been a while since I've gotten some some mail here. First up, we have from Chris. Hey, Stella, I recently discovered your podcast and I'm now playing catch-up and listening to your previous ones. I just want to say how much I enjoyed re- your reviews and your format, especially reviewing the older books and listing the creative team credits and reading letters of comment. I've been a fan of all Bat-related characters since I was a wee little guy. I hope this finds you well and can't wait to hear what your thoughts are on background number 16. So yeah, a little while ago. But thanks, Chris. Thanks very much for finding this. Uh, I think it's just happenstance when people come upon it. And I'm great that you give it a try and continue to listen. And I'm glad that the format is fitting your fancy for sure. We also have from michael hi stella i love your podcast and have been working my way through all the episodes it is very well done and i really enjoy hearing about the back issues and barbara's character evolution i started collecting again a few months ago and have been completing the background new 52 run as well as buying a lot of back issues online both of barbara and stephanie brown i came across the three-part oracle the cure story and was really turned off by the cover art one of the things i really liked about her is that she's not only very intelligent and a strong character but she's more modest and reserved about the way she dresses these covers make her look more like the standard scantily clad female comic book character with no standards i enjoyed the story but feel the art did not match the usual Barbara dress. Was this done to make her more appealing to more readers? I'm not familiar with the artist, but I'm definitely not a fan of this. Uh, What did you think? Thanks, and keep up the good work. Well, Michael, I do have to say that this, I've not read that story. Uh, I know all about it, and I think it was sort of almost a ripoff that if you were going to go the way of, of giving her legs back and keeping her oracle, that would have been the way, but they don't exactly do that. Was this art done to make her more appealing? I don't honestly know. Ed Benes is, is also one of those artists that makes women look, well, they look gorgeous, but they're also somewhat busty uh and and their butt sometimes is always at an angle that is closest to the reader uh just with certain poses i always think of black canary and sort of that pose that she's got so this maybe uh i I think it could also just be the style of the artist and i definitely know what covers you're you're speaking of and sort of like her bent over in her chair and you know there's cleavage there but i i definitely agree with you the fact that I think we're used to Babs not being one of those busty women. And I think, you know, I can kind of feel, hear Michael Bailey in the back of my head here saying, uh, I always thought of her as uh, a B cup. Just, you know, she doesn't have to be a busty character, I think. That's why I think she's such a great role model for for kids and adults alike just because she is a sort of every woman. And I think you can uh, want to be her not because she's this beautiful creature, which, you know, I, I think Babs is attractive in her own way, but also because she's she's intelligent and capable of lots of things. So I definitely agree with you there. I do know there's a pretty famous couple of panels uh, where it's pretty 
uh, detailed her being in a shower. And this is something that, well, doesn't normally happen uh, in Batgirl comics. And uh, there were a couple that we've seen, you know, so far in the Bronze Age, but they've been very brief that, you know, she, she takes a shower and then gets out. But you don't really expect that sort of thing. And I, I hear arguments both ways because certainly I don't really want to see a shower scene with Babs. But I've also heard from uh, the Nerdy Bird, Jill Pantazzi, that she actually appreciated those panels because it showed what it is like to be someone with a disability and, um, you know, how you're able to shower and and just do everyday activities. So I think it could definitely go both ways, and I'm glad that she spoke out and, and brought that perspective around. I am interested in reading that story, and, and I guess it'll be a little while until I get there on the, on the cast here, but I should read it beforehand. But uh, I'm glad to know what your thoughts are on this, and I will definitely get back to you and let you know what I think of it after I read it. So thanks for writing in. And those are all the emails that I've got. So a reminder that you can write in to Backworld Oracle by emailing me backworldtooracle at gmail.com and that has not changed so definitely do not be concerned that I will be switching everything. Well let's get into the reviews. Last episode was wacky wacky wacky. I felt like Michael and I had been dropped into the phantom zone or just some sort of other reality that everything we were thrown were really wacky issues. But we're getting back to somewhat normal, uh, normalcy here with these issues. Obvi- you know, normalcy, not really top-notch issues. Some are better than others, and uh, well, we'll see which ones are the best. Thanks again to Michael for being on. Uh, he's just he's just a great guy. I'm very glad that I know him, and he's one of uh, the few people that. If I have a question on Superman, you know, because other people I may have a question on some other subject, but if I've got a question on Superman, I know without a doubt that Michael is going to know it, and uh, I just really respect him and his knowledge base and everything that he does, and I wish him the best with everything. Okay, first up we have Detective Comics number 490, Dance of Death. Writer Mike W. Barr, penciler John Kalnan, inker Joe Giella, letterer Ben Oda, colorist Gene D'Angelo. Also included in this issue are Requiem, Requiem for a Martyr, featuring Batman, Encounter, featuring a GCPD officer and some unnamed woman, weird, The Daily Answers, featuring Robin, and Lightning Strikes Out, featuring Black Lightning. Batgirl finds a sniper at her father's home, but the sniper escapes by using a smoke grenade. She suspects that this is related to threats against her father's guest, Charles Ray. She gets an undercover job at Charles Ray's ballet company. As Batgirl, she stops a bomb delivered to Charles seconds before it explodes. Later, she observes Cecile Ray trying to talk her dad into canceling the show, but ultimately failing. Charles does, however, say he has an announcement he will make after the performance. That should make her happy. At the performance, Batgirl notices a slight hissing sound coming from some flowers that Cecile's holding right by her father. She jumps into action and gets the flowers away from everyone. She had realized that earlier when Cecile was complaining about the strong chemical taste of the water that her brother gave her, that it must be a chemical antidote to the poison gas in the flowers. She confronts Philippe on stage, who admits that he was the would-be assassin. He felt that he was a better dancer than his father, but his father would never let him be the lead dancer in any of their family performances, so he had to get his dad out of the way. 
The irony of all this is that Charles' announcement would have been his retirement, thereby allowing his son to take over the family business. Wah, wah, wah. Well, ballet, you know, this sort of makes me think of Center Stage. I actually enjoy that movie, and it's sort of scary as well. Well, I mean, the movie's not scary, but I know that some of them have some eating disorders, so that's why I was saying it's a little scary there. And Black Swan, which, those of you that have seen Black Swan, it is a very good movie. However, I'm very glad that I rented that movie so that I could fast forward through a particular part. I know you know, you may know which part I'm talking about, but but that was that was actually a very well done movie there. But anyways, let's get back from the talk of uh of movies here. Ballet. You really have to respect people, I think, for that. Um they're really strong, though you wouldn't think it looking at them, but just the things that they do are really amazing for sure. But it just stinks that, you know, one thing could ruin your career and I guess that's true with all sports activities that you're sort of doing. Is ballet a sport? That's something to think about. Is ballet a sport? Anyway, let's get to the issue. Uh, So the first page of the story has a narration box that says, Thanks to Polly Law for sharing her ballet expertise. And I was quite baffled by this. I looked it up. It wasn't a speech bubble coming from Babs. Don't know who Polly Law is. And it's not P-O-L-Y-L-A-W because that's something that just passed. No, Polly, as in Polly Law Cracker and then L-A-W. Not sure. I guess I shouldn't focus on it, but if anyone has any clue as to what that may mean um, in terms of, you know, when this came out, please let me know. Babs makes uh, a rookie mistake going after the gunman and then running right into that smoke pellet. And, you know, I guess it's good that even a veteran like Babs can mess up, but you would think that she would have been able to overcome that little thing without trouble, so sort of back and forth on that one. We learned that Babs used a vent to listen to her dad speak with Batman when she was younger, and I like that a part of her past is brought up, but I do question how long Batman met with Gordon in such a private setting. You know, they're friends, and I think that this has been well established, but it seems more Batman style to constantly meet on the GCPD roof rather than meeting in somebody's home. And suddenly my comic uh, turned into a soap opera, and unfortunately this is where it's going to stay, with the sun coming to the Gordon's house arguing with his father about taking a prime position in the ballet it it just the dialogue and everything it seems so dramatic I felt like I was watching all my children well 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 looks like Babs does have a background in ballet after all though she does stress years ago uh, and of course she does keep up with her gymnastics training and this has really been the focus of her pre-new 52 career Uh, but I will say you know okay Simone I guess I can accept it since it did come up right now but you know I do wonder was this a happy accident or did Simone know did she do her research and actually find this in this particular issue that's something I would be interested in knowing but you know, when I'm wrong, I'm wrong. Uh, so I will say that. I guess I can allow this ballet thing, but I, I do think that gymnastics is still a greater part of Batgirl's life, and that's something that was has always been focused on. Now, I've not had experiences with bombs, okay, uh, besides threats being made in the mail room in my college dorm. But you would think that Mr. Ray would realize that he he was receiving a bomb in the mail and not shout that uh, it's not a costume. Of course, it's not a costume. A little dumb there and absurd. 
Babs remarks that no one missed her cover while she was Batgirl, and I can hardly believe in such a small company that no one would realize the new girl was gone. And, you know, Batgirl, of course, popped up, but I guess Ray was the only one who actually found her. But seriously, uh, sometimes this, this dual identity, and we talked about this with Michael as well, it's just too much sometimes. Okay, you know, this Charles Ray guy, he's ridiculous. Uh, putting everything second, even his family's life, just for the dance. He is definitely a prima donna. And again, the interaction with the daughter makes it seem like a soap opera. I think it's a stretch to have Babs realize that there is poison gas in the flowers uh, just from a discoloration, you know. In the in the recap, I said sort of this hissing, but really she says there, these flowers are discolored, uh, so there must be poisoned. But really, couldn't they just be bad or odd flowers? How could you tell just from the color of the flowers? And then we have a wacky scene where Philippe is attacking slash balleting around Batgirl. This is something I haven't seen ever but really the dancing and kicking I haven't seen since way back in Batman Family where Batgirl and Robin are dancing sort of doing this dance and and kicking people at the same time and looks like Philippe is prima donna junior since he would not settle for not being the lead and we end just as dramatically with Ray saying he was about to retire could he not have told his children that in the first place how much trouble would that have saved him and it would have been like a two-issue comic but hey so, you know, the story was interesting, uh, but certainly not the greatest bad story I think that there ever is. I liked that she went undercover, did some sleuthing, but the whole story smelled of a soap opera and didn't really seem like the type of thing that Babs would normally deal with. The only reason she was involved was because Ray was staying with her father. But what is their relationship? That wasn't really explained ever. Uh, where we start in this particular story is really in the middle with many questions to be answered. I'd also like to know where Philippe got that gun and the smoke pellet. Uh, I, I think we can say, you know, that it's obvious why he was able to move so quickly. Was this story a way to portray the French badly with a flair for the dramatic? That's what I want to know. This is sort of like a little <laughs> joke on them. Who knows? Because th these three characters weren't really portrayed well. Uh, I give this 6 out of 10 bats. Next up, we have Detective Comics number 491, The Assassination of Batgirl. Writer Carrie Burkett, penciler Jose Delbo, inker Joe Giella, letterer Ben Oda, and colorist Jean D'Angelo. Uh, this has a cover date of June 1980. Also included in this story are The Riddle of the Golden Fleece, featuring Batman, Fragrance of Death, featuring Jason Bard. Well, which is actually interesting because he flashes back to him as a little child and we see that his life growing up uh, is not all that we would have thought uh, with such a great gentleman but he did have a tough life I do encourage you to read that the target of the death dealer featuring Robin and short circuit which is the continuation of the previous black lightning story featuring black lightning the issue opens with a lifeless body of Batgirl hanged and swinging on a flagpole above Gotham City before this, in downtown Gotham, a unique council of war is being held, led by General Scar, one of the top crime bosses in Gotham. For months, Batgirl has held her operations in D.C., no threat to their objectives in Gotham, but since she has shifted her headquarters back to Gotham, it is time for her execution. For this, he has summoned his top agent, codenamed Cormorant, who has never failed. 
Meanwhile, Babs is on her way to a new job at the Humanities Research and Development Center. She flashes back to her meeting with the director, James Stein, who made it seem a job that would make her forget her loss in the elections. HRD is a large project with several different areas of research dedicated to solving urban problems and encouraging cultural development. Monday morning, she arrives early and meets a nice man at the coffee pot. Then in walks a jerk with a bad attitude, whom Babs mistakes as Richard Bender. He makes a remark about politicians not qualified to do real work and walks off. Babs is insulted and can't believe a genius like Bender acts that way, but the real Bender is the nice guy she first met. When Babs gets back to her apartment after work, her dad phones and tells her the police found something Batgirl may be interested in. Upon her arrival, she sees a figure in a Batgirl costume hanging from a pole, but it is just a dummy which will explode if anyone goes near it besides Batgirl. She gets closer and investigates, only to be fired upon. She falls but catches a ledge, then uses another pole to leap atop the building, taking the Comorant out as well. He continues to shoot at her and then pulls out a hostage. He threatens to kill her unless Batgirl comes out from the hiding place. Batgirl comes out, is unceremoniously shot, then falls backward off the building and lands on the ground below in front of the police. The Cormorant is pleased. To be continued. Interesting about this story is that it was actually the final story in this Detective Comics issue. And I feel like normally, uh, I, I don't want to say always, but I don't think the Batgirl story was ever last. Um, you know, Hunters could be last or like Man Bat when we were with Batman family. But so it was just an interesting placement for this story. And it was actually a good story. So it kind of stinks. Uh, so a frightening image, certainly with Batgirl hanged on a flagpole. And I think it really just reels you in there. The beginning of this issue seems like a bunch of men meeting in, in the He-Man Woman Haters Club, for those of you that know the Little Rascals. It's interesting that they've been following Batgirl's whereabouts, but have not put two and two together uh, that Babs is in fact Batgirl. It seems like if you were staying that on top of where Batgirl is, that you would realize that they were one and the same, but who knows. Uh, it's also interesting that they held off the revenge while she was out of their hair in D.C., but need to kill her now that she's back in Gotham. You know, any self-respecting criminal organization should kill the hero ASAP. I hope we learn more about this group in the next story, uh, what sort of campaigns this Scar guy is talking about, who the Cormorant is, etc. All we know now is that Scar is some top crime boss in Gotham and he wears a military uniform, so who knows about that. Uh, Scar, you know, he reminds me of uh, a Cylon ship in Battlestar Galactica. Of course, if you guys haven't watched uh, the new series, I finished it up recently. I highly recommend it. Um, but, you know, this ship here, the Viper pilots call him Scar because he's sort of messed up. You can actually see a scar, just like this guy's got a scar on, a fa on his face. And he's he's really one bad Cylon. Uh, he, he hides normally on... Uh, well, within an asteroid field, and he sort of hides on a rock, and then he comes out of nowhere and basically shoots you out of the sky or out of space. Uh, how goofy that the Cormorant has a C on his hat. Uh, I think he loses some respect bucks for that for sure. I'm glad that Babs has a new job as head of the social services department. Uh, really, for maybe two issues or so, we've seen her, maybe more, two to three issues we've seen her without a job and sort of moping around and trying to figure out what she needs to do, knowing that she needs to do something important, and now we finally have her doing something. 
it will definitely keep her busy. Uh, it'll test her and keep her on her toes since it has field research and investigative work attached with it. And, you know, of course she needs a regular 8 to 5 job so she can continue being Batgirl in the late hours. So I think this job fits her for sure. I'm not sure what to think of the new two new male characters that we meet in the coffee break room. The first, Richard Bender, apparently Babs thinks he's somewhat attractive. Uh, but, of course, she bungled that up. P.S. is not really that attractive, in my opinion, anyways. So, will he continue around? Will that be a future love interest? Jason! <laughs> uh, then you have the jerk, which reminds me of the, that lawyer in the Huntress stories that we saw in Batman Family, whom you automatically think is probably a bad guy. It'll be interesting to see. Will we get to see her in this job in the future? Are these going to be characters, or were they just for this particular story? Now, how did Batgirl know which roof to leap upon in order to find the gunmen? Even in the game Batman Arkham City, when you're trying to find Deadshot, uh, that requires some time, calculations, and tech. But she just leaps onto a pole and then onto the nearest rooftop, and poof, there he is. Don't really believe that. And what a bizarre trap. A Batgirl dummy, uh, which you know is the image we saw at the very beginning of the story, apparently with a bomb attached to it. Uh, it's gonna wear Batgirl up, and then she's gonna get shot. Isn't there a less elaborate way to kill her? I mean, potentially the guy, if he was so good, could have shot her when she was talking with the police. And then Batgirl gets shot, she falls from the building, and the gunman looks over. Number one, a more professional gunman probably would leave ASAP, because the police are down there, they could just rush up there. Number two, if the Comorant were as good as he said, or was said to be, he wouldn't have missed the first shot in the first place. I think it would have made more sense that the shooter uh, not have a hostage because he probably would have thought he would kill Batgirl from the beginning. And number three, what are the police doing the entire time? Just standing around? Wouldn't they have seen Batgirl arrive upon the roof and then, like I said before, sort of go up there and give her back up? This story gets off to an okay start with three acts, you know, the crime meeting, Babs's work, and then assassination. But I'm wondering how much will be resolved next issue. Is Babs' work going to be an ongoing story that will have nothing to do with this? How is Babs going to get out of a point-blank gunshot and falling from the height of a building? Will the dummy come into play? Because I can kind of see some sleight of hand where she pushes the dummy off, maybe. And that's actually at the ground, but she's hanging somewhere. We'll see if that's going to be believable, but that's what my thoughts are. I'm looking forward to the next issue, actually. Uh, it's been a while since we've have had a continuation bad story, a Batgirl story, so I'm glad to see that again. Uh, but I can't wait to see more of Babs in her new life. Eight out of ten bats, so not too bad. Kind of evens out the other one. When I come back, I will review... Batgirl number 17 and Birds of Prey number 17. But first we have Zias's Radio Hour featuring This Girl is on Fire by Alicia Keys. See you soon. She's just a girl and she's on fire Hotter than a fantasy Lonely like a highway She's living in a world and it's on fire Catastrophe, but she knows she can fly away. Oh, she got both feet on the ground and she's burning it down. Oh, she got a head in the clouds and she's not backing down. This girl is on fire. 
Welcome back. Hopefully you survived that song. I'm surprised, to be honest, that I even used it. Uh, my little 8th graders will go around singing that. Basically they always say, This girl is on fire! That's all they know. And they just keep going on and on and on like a bro broken record. So I'm actually surprised that, that I decided to use it. But there you go. Hopefully you endured. And speaking of enduring, <laughs> we've got background number 17, Endure the Flame. Writer, Ray Fox. Pensor, Daniel Sempere. Inker Vicente Sefuentes. And colorist, Blonde. The issue opens with Batgirl standing amid flames as Gotham City burns. Batgirl leaps as a missile launches towards her. 24 hours earlier, Babs is sitting in front of a computer, recovering from the injuries sustained at the hands of the Joker, assessing the Gotham City Police database, looking through mugshots, and after finding Joker gang members and accomplices, sending the information to GCPD. She feels like hell, but after doing some good and deciding to go for some air, she runs into Ricky, who is in line for some soup. She slips and calls him Ricky, and he wonders how she knows him, but she plays it off and he flirts with her. At St. Luke's Hospital, Babs Sr. is recovering when fake Dr. James Jr. walks in asking how she is using all of her fingers. Of course, she only has nine now, thanks to him, so she can't give him a 10 out of 10. She plays the part of a strong mom, telling him she's disappointed, but he merely smiles. Later at GCPD, Gordon and Bullock talk about picking up the rest of the clowns that worked with Joker, and Gordon gives a brief to his officers using the information Babs sent. Among the images is a picture of James Jr., and Gordon tells Bullock that he should not hesitate to bring him down. At a Gotham City hotel, James is tapping on a tablet with his mother's finger, creeper, while across town in the Narrows, a fire is blazing. Babs is listening in to the police scanners when she gets a call from James, happy that she has all her limbs, commenting that Joker had many good ideas, and maybe he should finish what he started. Babs tells him to take his meds. GCPD picks up a former clown. Babs hears a car getting into some trouble on the scanner, and James threatens that Babs will not be laughing soon. Even though she would rather rest up, Babs suits up and goes to the rescue, since the cops on the scene are rookies. It appears the clown who was just arrested was a suicide bomber. At location 17 in Uptown, three goons are talking about leaving town, but decide to wait until the Joker says to move. The cops arrive, but before they can break in, Batgirl bursts into the scene, or onto the scene, and takes the goons out. Batgirl suddenly realizes that the other locations and fires weren't set by Joker's people as a missile drops from the sky. Batgirl saves a police officer from the explosion and swings away as James Jr. looks on, commenting on her movements. Batgirl finds a heavily armored guy within a building who calls himself Firebug. He blows two charges on the window from which Batgirl entered and leaves her incapacitated. Next, the Mask of Ashes. Now I hear it either way, but I actually like the narration in the story. And it's actually interesting that it turns out to be James narrating the entire time, which you don't really find out until maybe three quarters of the way through. Reading it without this knowledge, uh, it definitely feels like the Silver and Bronze Age narrations that really get into the head of Batgirl and narrate her every move. I like that we get to see Babs with the computer and definitely using technology more than she has before. Looking through data files, sending the info to her father definitely is a very oracle thing to do. Now, of course, this, uh, this Ricky thing annoys me to no end. Listeners, I know you know how much I dislike this, and I am vexed that we are continuing down this path. 
Oh, you remember there was a Valentine's Day special from DC. So there was a Batgirl story in it. Uh, Fox wrote it. She and Ricky share a kiss. It made me want to destroy things when I saw that. You know, now with this, it seems like we're going down the same, this strange path. Can you really see Babs with this guy? Now, I'm all for diversity here. Uh, but they just do not match well. And Rick is pretty hopeless in his flirting. <sighs> Where's Jason Bard, New 52, when you need him? Now, I'm pretty surprised that Babs Sr. is so strong and she yells at James, given the fact that she is pretty vulnerable. And she was the one to leave the family because of him when he was like 10 years old. So where did this sudden courage come from? It's also surprising that James actually put Bab Sr. in the hospital and didn't kill her, especially since he didn't keep his word in helping Batgirl. Little confused as to his motives. They don't really make sense. Even if he is a crazy person, the writing doesn't really make sense. I don't know. How did James get Bab Sr.'s finger? I'd also like to know that. Remember, it was in Batgirl's utility belt. I, I would hope that it would be protected like Batman's. And why is he using the finger like a stylus? Weird. Creepy. I don't even know what other words I could use. Basic, all bad ones. Clowns don't really seem like the suicide bomber type. And it doesn't really seem like something Joker would come up with. Uh, and this becomes queer at the end, so thank goodness it makes sense. But it's unexplained what happened to the one clown who just got arrested. Uh, I, I, I don't know. It seems like a pretty stupid thing to say that one didn't sign up to kill cops, which is one of the people in that apartment. You, you know, you'd think someone who signs up with the Joker would basically be ready to do anything, which is, of course, what the other uh, member said. So great writing there. But seriously, you're signing up with the Joker. You're going to do what you're told. I'm sure there are weirder things and worse things than just killing a cop. How did Batgirl know where to go in Uptown and find those guys that are sitting there in that apartment that want to go? They're basically in a derelict building, uh, and the scene of the suicide bomber was at a totally different location. Is such information included in mugshots? The police had to search for the former clowns. They didn't even know exactly where to find him. So how did she know where to go there? Now let's talk about Firebug. Of course, I'm sort of waiting until the end, aren't I? Um, you know, if you've known me at all and you've been listening for three years, you know what I'm about to say, don't you? I'll, I'll pause right now. You fill it in. Why wasn't this? Exactly. Why didn't they just use Firefly? You know how great a villain he is, even if he is, you know, a, a B or a C lister. I guess he's more of a C lister. Now it's interesting that we have a different writer. And we finally have a character that actually existed pre-New 52. Did you know that? Firebug was actually pre-New 52. So, you know, thanks, Fox, for actually caring about the history. Now, Firebug first appeared in Batman number 318, came out December 1979. Joe Rigger, he was a soldier demolitions expert who returned to Gotham City when his family had been killed in three separate building-related uh, accidents. His sanity slipping, Rigger vowed that those buildings would not kill again. Using his military training and a costume containing tanks of napalm, he became the firebug and set out to burn all three buildings to the ground. He was defeated by the Batman atop the towering Gotham State Building and believed dead after his tank exploded, but of course he pops up again and he's even rivals with Firefly, so there's a little bit of history uh, for Rigger and Firebug. 
you can definitely tell he's a soldier from the medals that he's wearing on his suit. And that was something that I picked up right away. And it reminds me of the Arrow episode. I hope you guys are watching that. It, it's a really great show on the CW. The Arrow episode with Garfield Wins, who was a firefighter. Even though I would have preferred wins, definitely, I'm looking forward to getting some backstory, some more backstory on Firebug here and seeing whether this is a better villain uh, than we've seen from Simone. So I hope that we, we have more from Firebug than just the next issue and then throwing him out because I think that you could potentially go on and maybe explore his backstory. So yeah, I'm, I'm accepting of Firebug, but definitely I think Firefly is always going to be number one in my heart. So this story is probably one of the best that I have read thus far in the New 52 run on Batgirl. Fox seems to get the character of Batgirl more than Simone, in my opinion, uh, to actually have fun with her. You know, the Ricky stuff notwithstanding. I think there's a lot going on here, though. You know, since Joker's storyline is finished, I expected to see the fallout of that here. And I think he definitely needed some sort of one-off issue to sort of wrap that all up. But all we get really is Babs cleaning up the remaining clowns. That's all the tie we get. Then we have James Jr. going after Babs indirectly. Here I thought there would be a final confrontation between the two uh, per the cover. But this is not so. And how long are we to wait for that to be wrapped up? So there are two full-length stories already in this book. But then we add Firebug, which compounds the previous issues, mixing James with the leftover clowns. Three stories in one? I mean, this isn't Detective Comics in the 70s, people. Uh, isn't that too much? It'll be interesting to see where the story goes from here, uh, what Fox is able to wrap up since Simone is going to pick back up, where she's going to pick back up, and whether Fox keeps going with relatively good material or if he tanks, I don't know. But uh, I do approve so far of this. 7 out of 10 bats. Finally, we have Birds of Prey number 17, Heartstopper. Isn't that a song, Heartstopper? Do, do. Oh no, I'm thinking the Danity Kane song. Do do you have a first aid kit handy? Do do you do you remember that? Okay, cause they're heartbroken and she needs to be. Oh whatever. Do do you got a first aid kit handy? Do do you know how to pet up a wound? Tell me, are, are, are you are you patient? Understanding, cause I might need some time to clear the hole in my heart. Writer Dwayne Swarzynski, penciler Romano Molinar, inker Vicente Cifuentes, and colorist Chris Sotomayor. This issue picks up right after Dinah's canary cry goes berserk, blowing up a power station which supplies the power to most of Gotham and beyond. Of course, people take advantage of this. For whatever reason, the team, besides Starling, doesn't realize that Dinah was the one to blow up the station. The others plan to dig out survivors and restore power. Starling confronts Dinah, but she tells her that it is nothing for her to worry about. Strix also realizes what happened, but decides to attack instead, instead of words. Uh, Dinah tells her that she's the last person who should judge her, but the fighting continues, and Strix only stops after Batgirl tells her to. Strix writes in the dirt, she will kill all. 
nearby, somebody comes out of the rubble and speaks to another who is buried and speaking Russian. The emerged man tells him that he recognizes sound from way back in Birds of Prey number zero when he was making a deal at Penguin's Lounge, but his boat was destroyed while trying to escape. He tells his friend that he has come prepared, bringing some hardware called heart stoppers, which lock onto the electrical pattern of the nearest human heart, then zoom in to destroy it close range with powerful focused shocks. Only those wearing protective wristbands will be safe. The heart stoppers find Batgirl first and she gets zapped before Strix removes it. Luckily Strix has no human heart. Condor then begins to protect people with his telekinetic defense. Elsewhere, Ev is on the phone with Waller. Why are you on the phone? Reporting what has happened when there is gunfire. It appears a private team contracted by the government has made the birds a target after the massive power outage. Ev asks for a favor again. The rest of the birds decide to do something about the heartstoppers and gunfire. Strix puts herself in the middle of it in order to destroy some heartstoppers. Luckily, getting shot barely phases her. Donna examines one of the heartstoppers and realizes that it is basilisk tech, and the dealer must still be alive in dealing them. Batgirl goes to find him while Strix is supposed to cover Canary. Strix destroys another heartstopper and another still targets Canary, which is caught by Strix. She holds it there, contemplating what to do with it. Donna tries to explain that she doesn't know what is going on with her power spikes and that they must be related to Kurt Lance in some way. Donna tells her to release the tech, which she does since it is dead. Batgirl and Condor have found the Basilisk dealer and his friend, and then they return. Starling returns and explains that she was the one who got rid of the government team by calling in a favor, so don't waste it. Condor wonders what else to expect from the team. Dinah tells the team that other people can worry about turning the power back on, and Ev wants a bourbon. Next, Freeze Strikes. Well, my main problem right off the bat with this issue is the fact that nobody realizes it was Dinah that destroyed the station. But Ev? Are you serious? Number one, they were all around her when it happened, and she was freaking out right before it happened. Number two, how long have you been together on this team? Should you not know what her canary cry sounds like? A guy who a couple years earlier heard the canary cry once knew what it was, but they don't? Ridiculous. So, of course, the city is thrown into partial chaos, and people are stealing things, etc. And yet, at the end of the issue, Dana basically says that restoring power is not their problem, uh, yet they do not have another mission to tackle right away. What kind of hero are you? What is going on right now? This, I don't know. Dinah doesn't seem like the Dinah that had been written before. Something weird's going on. And Swarzynski's coming off the book soon. I hope this gets back to normal before we get our new writer, or at least the new writer picks up and puts us back to relatively normal um, status quo. I'm a little tired of Dinah saying that no one needs to worry about her power issues and that it's not a problem. Of course it's a problem for them. They're on the same team. They could have all been killed in that blast. And she basically has caused uh, widespread panic and destruction in Gotham City from this. I wonder why Strix attacked her, and if uh, she knows anything that we don't about Dinah's strange bursts of power. And why does Dinah later decide to explain herself to Strix, of all people? Why does she even try to deny uh, it is not connected with her husband, and how is it connected to her husband? Will this ever be resolved? Now, what happens, Stance, that we see the dealer from the Zero issue in this story? I guess it's great that we're pulling things back. I'm wondering how Ev is talking to Waller, since we don't see a handless device until several panels later. It just bloop, 
pops up. I decide to draw it in. Uh, like, <laughs> it just appeared. Uh, why does Ev take that particular moment to speak with her and give a report? It's a little strange. What's in it for Ev? What does Waller want with the birds? Will we find out any of this soon? And don't any of the other birds find it strange that Ev was gone so long while they were fighting for their lives? I like the fact that Dinah accuses Strix of being unhinged and asking whether they learned anything from Ivy being on the team. Then Batgirl points, out, points the fingers back uh, and, and reminds Dinah that she was the one to bring Ivy on the team. So great writing there. It seems like Dinah is falling in her duties as leader and, and something really needs to happen or change. She even recognizes this, I feel, when she says this wasn't supposed to happen. So perhaps the best thing for her to do is to step down until she gets her power sorted out. It seems that at least Condor and Strix seems to uh, seem to have made a place for themselves on the team, definitely adding their respective skills. So I'm glad that that took such a short time. Uh, but what a weird ending, you know? Oh, the mission's over. Let's go. I mean, they come for the Basilisk dealer. They blow up a power station, plunging the city into darkness. Uh, once they find the dealer, they decide that's all they need to do. Shouldn't they continue looking for Basilisk members? Are we just to continue holding on to these loose threads from storylines? Ugh. You know, it was a decent story. We seem to be getting closer to finding out about Dinah, but who knows when all the answers will be revealed with her and with Ev's involvement with Waller. But hey, at least the team seems to be flowing well enough. 7 out of 10 birds. Next up we have Babs in the Tube. <laughs> Remember, this is the segment where I examine an individual appearance of Barbara Gordon in the media, whether it be TV or film, and currently I am watching the 1966 Batman TV series and really wrapping down here, uh, or winding down. Episode 116, that's season 3, episode 22, The Great Train Robbery Part 2, which aired February 8th, 1968, starring Adam West as Bruce Wayne slash Batman. Burt Ward as Dick Grayson slash Robin, Neil Hamilton as Commissioner Jim Gordon, Stafford Rep as Chief O'Hara, Alan Napier as Alfred Pennyworth, and of course Yvonne Craig as Backroll slash Barbara Gordon. Guest starring Cliff Robertson as Shame, Hermione uh, Baddeley as Frontier Fanny, Dinah Merrill as Calamity Jan, Barry Denon as Fred, Brian Sullivan as Fortissimo Fra Diallo, Dorothy Kirsten as Leonora Sotavoce, and Victor Lundden as Chief Standing Pat. Shame and his criminal posse invade an ammunition shop where, after holding up its proprietor Peter and arming themselves to the teeth, they plan their next move. Meanwhile, Calamity Jan pleads with Shame to swap Batgirl for her mom, and he grudgingly agrees. The next morning, he sends Chief Standing Pat to police headquarters and delivers his offer. The dynamic duo accepts, and they transfer Frontier Fanny to the Central American Pavilion at the closed Gotham City World Fair, as requested, where Shame, Jan, Pat, and Fred wait in ambush. Batman spots the pernicious posse and tosses a chemical capsule which makes her weapons 20 times heavier than usual. Batgirl manages to free herself in the dynamic trio, brutal bash the barehanded bandits. Shame snatches up a gun and blasts out a piñata, knocking out the trio long enough for the posse to head for the hills. 
Batman, Batgirl, and Robin regain consciousness and reconvene in Gordon's office, where Batgirl relates Shame's plan to commit a grid train robbery. The caped crusader quickly recalls a shipment of old money, which is being transported by train to the Treasury Department to be burned to ashes, and believes this is exactly what Shame is after. The dynamic trio rush to save the train. In the meantime, Shame severs the tracks with the acetylene torch and breaks into the money car with a diamond drill, spraying its occupants with fear gas and snatching the cash. The dynamic duo speeds back to the Batcave, where the caped crusader launches a bat drone plane to issue a skywritten challenge to Shame. Shame accepts and agrees to meet Batman alone in the condemned tenement district, the exact equivalency of a ghost town. Naturally, Shane reneges on his agreement with Batman and secretly has his posse waiting in a nearby alley with orders to blow Batman away when he and the caped crusader are within 20 feet apart. The final showdown commences, and while the criminal cowboy and the caped crusader slowly advance toward each other, Batgirl and Robin manages to disarm Shame's posse. Shame realizes something's wrong and resorts to Plan B, a derringer hidden in his hat. Batman knocks it from his hand with a well-aimed and thrown batarang. Shane manages to fool Batman by cowardly begging for mercy at Batman's feet and pretending to surrender. He knocks him aside, and the two battle it out in the middle of the street. The Caped Crusader emerges victorious, and Shame, Jan, Fanny, Fred, and Pat are all Huskow bound. Phew. Well, I feel like, you know, I miss Michael Billy now, because I think it'd be interesting to hear his thoughts on this. I don't think it was as crazy as the previous episode, to be honest. Uh, there are certainly some really wacky moments. That whole fight... Uh, man, I just wish it were like the quick and the dead. He could have had an actual draw there. But it was just a really weird and drawn-out fight. When they go into the shop, they make the man like climb up on the... Uh, I don't think it was a moose. But I think it was a deer head on the wall. and like Or elk. And he has to like stay up there the entire time. And he's given some food. What? And then... The commissioner is worried about back, uh, worried about his daughter, and Batgirl says, "Don't worry, I, she's all right." And he asks, "How do you know?" And he said, "Like," or she says something like, "Woman's intuition." And I'm like, "That is not a good reason at all." But compared to everything else, um, or well, compared to the previous episode, I think that this was rather tame. But I'm glad that even though Shame doesn't really like his potential future mother-in-law, that he is going to go trade. You know, he's going to listen to his fiance and, and trade her and Batgirl. Uh, but now I'm wondering, since they're all going to be in the prison, how they're ever going to get married. Will it ever happen? Who knows? Maybe they'll pop up in the final four or so episodes that we've got left. Well, remember, still in Lent here, so there there's no shipper spotlight. I think I've been doing okay with the uh, no shippers uh, that I've been trying to do for Lent here. I do have to say that some of the students are being intentionally cruel and, and trying to entice me uh, into making comments by like walking out of the cafeteria together and then playing dumb, just saying, hey, we just wanted to say hi. No, that didn't know. Or others talking back and forth, sending notes, but they do it right in front of me. But I'm not going to say anything. Anyways, we'll just go on to our literature recommendation. I just warn them that, you know, come April 9th when I see them again, then I'll just wet everything out that I've been holding up deep inside. So that should be a wonderful day for them. Uh, my literature recommendation actually is uh, Death of Superman. 
and World Without Superman, and I'll go ahead and recommend it, uh, The Return of Superman, though I've just started reading it, but I definitely wanted to read this this entire storyline. I know how important it is to Superman mythos, and they were reissuing the trade, so I really wanted to get in on those, and you know, I, I get my trays from online, of course. I, I order them in order, and the first one I get is World Without Superman. And I'm like, are you serious? And then I get Return of Superman Ugh, the next month. And then finally, I get Death of Superman. Uh, Death of Superman, uh, Michael Bailey warned me, you know, is just be prepared for all the fights. And he was certainly true. And I think, man, it took me like maybe two hours. I, I read like three quarters of it in Starbucks because I always have Starbucks Fridays. Uh, one of my favorite times of the day, I, I wake up at 5.30 and I go in and for an hour or so I, j I have uh, an egg sandwich and a coffee. Not really coffee. It's just... It's a mocha of some sort. And I, I sit there, uh, eat, drink, and, and read my comic. And then I go off to my AP morning session. So one of my favorite Starbucks Fridays. It's one of my favorite things. But anyways, uh, so yeah, I read like three quarters of it then. And then finish off the last issue like that day. World Without Superman was a bit more substantial. Uh, definitely Death of Superman goes by so quickly because there are several panels that there's no narration or words whatsoever i mean it's like five pages of doomsday punching himself punching yeah punching himself out of like where he is that's how it all starts and all of this things that that don't have any words which certainly is is fine with me um but the second one more substantial like i said a lot of stuff going on and then now i'm return of superman so now we've got these four different people we've got superboy Cyborg Superman, which I have yet to see him pop up. I saw him pop up in the prologue, but haven't really read how he comes about. Uh, Man of Steel, which is really John Henry Irons, uh, which I'm excited about reading about. I, I like that character. And then, or uh, Lois calls him like Fascist Superman with the shades, uh, which I'm actually really puzzled about because sort of this energy being came from the fortress. He put himself into Superman's body, so you would think that it is this, the Superman. And right now he told Lois that, well, I don't, I don't know if I want to spoil it. So anyways, that's where I am right now. Is that Superman or is it not? Ooh, I guess we'll see. But I'm, and it's funny, Death of Superman or Return of Superman is like so huge. Like they each get bigger and bigger. It's like the Twilight series where Breaking Dawn is the huge one. Uh, but it's Return of Superman is, is the biggest. But I do recommend it, even if you're not a Superman fan, because I like Superman. He's not my favorite. Uh, but I I'm definitely have been growing in appreciation for him, not only through Michael's influence, but uh, just from things that I've been reading um, for my comics class that I've been teaching and, you know, this as well. So I definitely say uh, give it a chance. Remember to send any questions or comments to backworldoracle at gmail.com. Uh, remember also to bookmark that new feed. Uh, there's nothing on there right now. New things will start popping up in April, and the old one will still be live, so you can get your new episodes. But then when there's a switchover, just remember on that and, and probably check iTunes as well to go over there. And that, again, is thebatmanuniverse.net slash category slash podcast slash BTO slash feed thanks to 
Mile High Comics, again, for sponsoring Batgirl to Oracle, the Barbara Gordon podcast. Thanks also to TV.com for the episode summary for The Great Train Robbery Part 2. Well, I hope you guys have a wonderful Easter. And uh, hopefully Lent has been a contemplative time for you. And you've survived without whatever you have given up. I think next year I'm going to have to give up dried fruit and granola because I think I have an obsession and an addiction to it and it's troublesome so I need to probably give that up next year so you hold me in on that one but uh, hopefully you're having a wonderful time you're the weird snowstorms haven't been keeping you down and you're enjoying the the what is this well it's the first week of spring so hopefully some of you out there are getting out and getting around but until next time fly on Babs lovers just plain Barbara Gordon masquerading for a lark as she rides into the night on her special Batgirl cycle. Who knows? Is the dynamic duo destined to become the triumphant trio? Only time will tell us more about this dazzling dare doll. Batgirl! Ah, I love a happy ending, don't you?